the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Give me an undivided heart that I might feel your name. Teach me to walk in righteous paths and follow in your way. For you are gracious and forgiving. Hear, O oh Lord, and
a house divided, a house divided. Lord, you've put a word on my heart and I'll speak that word. But Lord, I can't convince anybody here. Lord, your Holy Spirit's going to have to come and do a sovereign work. Lord, you alone can open or harden a person's heart. And Lord, I ask today for the grace, for the mercy of hearts soft before your word. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I've been raised as an American with the belief that if I can explain adequately a specific truth, everyone will agree with it. In other words, if I'm sitting at the computer and there is a problem, then there is a logical answer to that problem. We simply have to have someone who can adequately explain the problem and apply the fix. It's logical. Step one, two, three, here's the fix. So we come to the human heart, and it would seem that if there is truth, and that truth can adequately be explained, then everyone will accept that truth. And so I find myself going back day after day to this radio broadcast, attempting in every every way I can to explain this truth of the gospel, talking about justification and sanctification and, and how in the modern church, church we've split those two apart and how for many fellowships, justification by faith is everything. Justification by faith is the truth of the gospel and sanctification is kind of a hang on. And when we go to the scriptures, it's obvious that that's just not true. That justification and sanctification are like Siamese twins. You cut them apart and they're both dead. They've got to be bound together. Well, that's a simple theological truth that it seems we could study out together and agree upon. Well, Jesus showed up one day in a synagogue. It was a Sabbath day. And here sitting in the congregation is a man who has a hot arm that has totally shriveled and withered up. He can't use it. And Jesus, seeing this, sees an opportunity to teach his truth. And so he asks them the question, if an animal falls in a, a sheep, a, a goat, if it falls in a pit on the Sabbath day, would you not rest? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Well, come up here. <laughs> man comes up. He says, is it right to heal a man on the Sabbath? To release him from the pit he's in? And Jesus healed him. And the Pharisees went out and said, how are we going to kill this man? Now, he tried to teach them a simple truth by logically explaining step by step his process. And they said, how are we going to kill this man? Well, they understood that if Jesus continued the teaching that he was providing, the end result would be a separation from Rome. And they liked the Roman power and money that was flowing into their pockets. And they recognized that the teaching would destroy their relationship with Rome. And they said, we're not going there. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a, this is a new understanding. You mean to tell me that there are some people who won't accept truth because it will destroy their lifestyle? I don't like to accept that. Everything that's in me says, no, let's believe the truth. Regardless of what that costs us, let's believe the truth. But in reality, many will not accept the truth because it discomforts their lifestyle. Have you heard any truth recently that discomforted your lifestyle? And what choice did you make? So we come in Matthew, the 12th chapter. Jesus is aware of this plot of the Pharisees to kill him. And so he simply withdraws. Many follow him and he heals all their sick. 
and he warns them, don't tell anybody what I've done. This was done, according to verse 18, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Now, please hear this gentle word of the Lord God of heaven. If there is a smoldering fire in your heart that says, I desire to accept the truth of Jesus, Jesus will not take that away from you. If in your experience, in your family, as you have walked being a Christian, you have been bruised and broken, the Lord Jesus is saying, I'm not going to put any load on your back that will break you. I'm going to be very gentle with you. He's saying, I love you. So he's telling us now the truth that he's going to teach us in just a moment is not meant as a burden on your back to break you, but rather to inflame that smoldering fire into hot flame. As a kid, I often would use campfires. Have you ever gotten up on a cold morning in the summer, tried to start a campfire? It's rained all night. Your sleeping bag is soaking wet. Everything is wet. All you've got is a match, and you're going to try to light a fire. And all you can get it to do is smolder. You can get a little smolder, and then it goes out and it's gone. Well, what do you do? I can tell you what I did. I went and found the driest material I could find. And then I knelt down on my knees and I very softly blew on that ember. I blew on that ember gently. It's a picture of what Jesus wants to do today on your heart. He wants to come blow very gently into your heart. He doesn't want to blow you away. He wants to blow gently into your heart. And he wants to bring a flame of fire in your heart. Now, there are some who, when the blowing of the gentle breath of the Holy Spirit comes, they will say, how can I kill you? I pray that none of you are of that heart today. That as the Holy Spirit begins now to blow into your heart, those embers that are soaked with worldliness, that there will be an explosive flame that will grow up in your heart. And that today will be a dividing time for you. Today will be a decision-making day regarding your destiny for eternity. Because the Holy Spirit wants to come now and blow into your heart. They brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Now, literally, that is a picture of every unsaved man and woman. Blind, mute, and filled with a demon spirit. Not a pretty picture. The people were astonished because Jesus heals him and he now can both talk and see and the demon is gone. They see a transformed life before them. The Pharisees heard about this. They said it's only by Beelzebub or the devil that the prince of demons that this fellow has that he drives out demons. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, verse 25, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, 
he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, if there are no demon attitudes driven out of you by coming to this church, the kingdom of God has not come upon you. Understand, if there's no bondage of sin broken over your life, then the kingdom of God has not come upon you. Any form of religion that is purporting to be of Jesus Christ, but does not break the bondage of sin, has no Holy Spirit power, and it's an empty sham. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Now, please hear what the scripture is saying, that all of us come to Jesus Christ as demon-possessed men and women, blind can't hear, no way to save ourselves, no way to even hear the word of salvation. But as the Holy Spirit comes, he begins to break our deafness. He gives us eyesight and he casts the demons out. So we walk in freedom. Now it says before all of this can happen, the strong man has to be bound. In other words, you're not going to be released from the power and bondage of Satan until the strong man is bound. Once the strong man is bound, you can rob his house. You can take back from Satan everything he has taken from you. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Why? Because if you're still deaf and you're blind and you're filled with demon powers, there is no way you can hear the Holy Spirit There's no way you can see the path of righteousness. And so you are utterly cast aside. Now, praise God, the Holy Spirit comes and breathes into our heart. He blows on that ember that was promised in Genesis 3.15, where there would be enmity between us and the serpent. That's the promise of God. So now he comes and blows on that ember of enmity between us and Satan to see whether or not we will allow that to turn into a fire that will consume us and set us free, or whether we will hold back, not allow the Spirit to speak, reject him, and say, now how can I kill Jesus? Now he's speaking here about a house that is divided. The house he's speaking about is your soul and my soul, a divided house. So one moment, I'm wanting to walk with the world and enjoy the things of the world, And the next moment, I'm trying to say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a house divided. I come here on Thursday night and I sing praises to God. Come here on Sunday afternoon and I sing praises to God. What do I do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Do I chase the world and ensure that my safety is taken care of and exhaust myself pursuing the world and then come back into the house of the Lord? 
and repent, a house divided can't stand. How do we deal with this? Well, I'd like to share some other scriptures with you because there is, a, there is an answer given. Let's begin in Jeremiah, the fourth chapter. Jeremiah, the fourth chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse three. Jeremiah four, verse three. This is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Break up the unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. In other words, if your house is divided and you think, yes, I want to follow Jesus. No, I don't want to follow Jesus. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. I want to be somewhere in the middle where I have a little bit of Jesus. I can have a little bit of a religious experience. I can, I can plan on going to heaven because he's got me covered by his grace but I really don't want to sell out and I don't want to be serious and I don't want to take up my cross and follow him. I was talking with one of you about the stages of this process. As we begin to come and get serious with Jesus, we're afraid we're going to die. And after we've spent enough time fearing that we're going to lose everything and die, then we come to a new level where we're afraid we're not going to die. We're so miserable, we're afraid we're not going to die. And we're saying, how long do I have to live in this before I either leave Jesus or I'm healed and walk in wholeness? And then finally, we just go ahead and get the victory and die. And that's when the shouting starts happening. That's when the victory's won. And some of you have been living in Grumpsville. I mean, you're trying to be a Christian. Do you know how miserable it is to try to be a Christian? Some of you are trying to do what's right. Do you know how miserable it is to be around you when you're trying to do what's right. I mean, I'd rather be with a pagan than a Christian who's trying to do something right. Do you understand why? Because if you're just trying to do something right, your flesh is rising up and trying to accomplish something so you won't have to die. And then you can say, look, hey, I did my best. I did the best I could, Jesus. So if you're going to save me, you're just going to have to make up the difference. And what it is, is an excuse now, so I don't have to die. And you're miserable and you make your family miserable. You make everybody around you miserable because you're the big martyr. You're doing this for Jesus. And you say to your family, let's do this for Jesus. And you need a Holy Spirit facelift. There's no joy. They're just groaning and complaining against the Lord God of heaven. I want to tell you, either be a Christian or go out and enjoy the world. Either be a Christian for real or go get your heaven now. But to walk in this in-between, miserable, grumpy place, half in the kingdom and half out of the kingdom, and playing the game, what a miserable existence. No power, no authority, no joy. Life is tough. Remember this psychologist a while ago wrote this book about how life is tough. Life is hard. Do you know what? Life is not hard and life is not tough once you just go ahead and die. It's only tough and hard because you haven't decided to finish it off and let Jesus Christ rule in your heart. Once Jesus Christ is ruling in your heart, all you see is the glory. All you, all you walk in is the glory 
of serving Jesus Christ. But it's this in-between place. It's this divided place. And so the Lord is saying to us in Jeremiah, look, all you need to do is begin to break up the unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Well, what's that mean? Well, I was raised as a farmer. What it meant as a farmer is you'd get the, the plow and you go and just plow up all the field that is hard and the weeds are growing in it. You just turn the soil over. You plow it up. Some of you have Sunday pretty well plowed up. And some of you have Thursday night pretty well plowed up. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I mean, Friday, during the day, there's no plowed up soil. The Lord's saying, if you want to be a house not divided, plow your soil up and plant in that soil the word of God. Plant in that soil the word of God. That means you've got to plant the soil at work. You've got to plow work up. Well, now you start plowing work up and somebody's going to say, you know, I don't like the way you're plowing this job up. I don't like how you're talking. I don't like what you're acting like. Who do you think you are? You start plowing your family life up and your family says, wait a minute, we didn't bargain for this. We don't like this. I mean, brothers and sisters will start to talk to you about it. Don't plow your life up like this. You're going to ruin your life. Well, you're right. You're plowing the weeds under. Well, what are the weeds? The thorns. Let's identify from the New Testament what the thorns are that grow up that when you plow, you put them under. I I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the word. Mark, the fourth chapter. The scripture identifies what the thorns are, what the weeds are that we plow up. Mark, the fourth chapter. Verse 18. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Wait a minute. Choke the word? That means things that take the place of your reading the word of God. Things that take the place of reading the word of God. Things that take the place of prayer. Things that take the place of walking in obedience to the Lord God of heaven. Those are the thorns. And specifically, these thorns have scientific names. Worries of life. Well, what are the worries of life? This is not neurotic worry. In the Greek, it literally means the responsibilities of life. Now, one of the chief arguments that I've heard from listeners on the radio time after time, pastor, I understand that you as a pastor have time on your hands. And you can read the scriptures, but I'm a working man. And I have a family to take care of. And I have responsibilities to take care of. Now, you could not expect me to read the scriptures through in 30 days. And they look at me with this look of expectation that I'm going to agree with them. They've got thorns growing in their life. And those thorns are choking out the word that is sown into their spirit. Those thorns are putting out that ember in their life where the Holy Spirit is breathing into them because there's no time for the word of God. Instead, they're being responsible. Now, I don't mean to be upsetting to your heart, but you understand that if today you were to die, somebody else would take care of the responsibilities. I mean, if you were to die, it would be like pulling your finger up out of a bowl of water. Life would continue without you. And all of those things that are so vital that you take care of, 
would be taken care of without you. In fact, your death would cause a great deal more difficulty for other people. There'd have to be a funeral. There'd have to be arrangements. There'd have to be a graveside deal. I mean, you'd make my job hard. You understand what I'm saying to you. And so when you say, I don't have time to be with Jesus, you're saying, I have thorns that are growing up in my life. And these thorns are choking out the word of God. And the breathing of the Holy Spirit is being grieved. And I'm coming to the point of death. And so I ask you, will you only do the responsibilities that Jesus asks you to do? Now, please understand, I want to, I want to take a step that some of you may not follow me on. What is prayer? What is prayer? I was raised to believe that prayer was getting down on my knees before God, closed in in my prayer closet. And there I would pour out my heart to God as to a friend. That was what I learned as a child was prayer. And you know what? That is prayer. And the scripture teaches that prayer. But I want to tell you there's another kind of prayer. The walking in obedience to the command of the Lord is prayer. When a mother is about the work of a mother in caring for her children, that is prayer. When a man goes to his job or a woman goes to the job where God has assigned you and you walk faithfully in that place and you do what the Lord has asked you to do in that place, that is prayer. Prayer is literally a life turned toward the living God of heaven with the Spirit breathing out of you and the Holy Spirit breathing into you so that prayer is something that goes on 24 by 7. Constantly I'm in prayer. So the prayer closet is one vital part of this picture. But I want you to also recognize that the Lord asks you to accomplish certain things. These are not the thorns I'm talking about. The thorns are the things for your own ego that you have established. Out of the lust of your heart, out of the desire for supremacy in your heart, you have established these things. You've added them to your plate. And now... As you engage in those activities, you grieve the Spirit of God from your heart, and it is not prayer. It is rebellion. That's why Isaiah 50 says, don't light your own fires. If you light your own fires, you're going to lie down in torment. So what I'm seeing is a picture of a man or woman who gets up in the morning and goes about the tasks assigned to them by Jesus, and that that in Effect is a life of prayer. So a busy mother may not get six hours in the prayer closet shut in, but Jesus will meet her as she feeds her children just as much as for the person who is closed into the prayer closet. If that's where Jesus has assigned her, do you understand this? That is, we're walking in obedience to the Spirit of God according to his agenda, at his direction, we are in the prayer closet. The problem comes with these thorns is when we have established our own agendas and we have assigned ourselves our own responsibilities to accomplish something for our own heart because we have a divided heart and a house divided cannot stand. Now, there is a second terrible thorn, and that is the deceitfulness of wealth, the belief that money is the answer to our problem the belief that we have to have money to survive. I don't have to have money to survive. 
I have to have Jesus Christ to survive. I don't have to have money to survive. I have to have what the Lord God of heaven desires me to have. And so if I believe that money is my God, if money is what I serve Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, during the day, and Friday, if I serve mammon, and then I come to this house, I'm going to have a divided heart. I'm going to be sitting in the service, and an idea will come to me about, well, yeah, I could do that. I could make money doing that. Yeah, if I call that person, I can set this up. I can do that. I'd have more money to give to God. No, I don't need money for God. I need a heart of prayer for the Lord God of heaven. I need a walking out of obedience with the ground all plowed up. Now, the picture that you get in the scripture is that God is asking for a man and woman to get their hearts plowed up. A person called me who's been listening for some time to the broadcast. And this dear person said to me, now I think I'm finally beginning to get the message from you. And they were mad. They said, I think I'm beginning to get the message from you. You're telling me that I have to forgive those who have harmed me. You're telling me that I have to give it up or else I'm going to go to hell. Well, thanks, pastor. I'd rather go to hell than give up my anger. Slam the phone down. Well, they're getting the message. They're getting the message. In other words, either our whole heart has to be plowed up and the anger and bitterness has to be plowed under. The thorns have to be plowed under or the seed of God that falls on our heart will not bear that crop desired by the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a third thorn that we need to talk about quickly. This is verse 19b, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. So the question has to come, what is it that you really want? And I've had to sit down with people one-on-one and just very gently say to them, please help me understand. I'll help you go wherever it is you want to go. What is it that you really want most in your heart? And I would ask you today, what is it that you really most want in your heart? If it's anger, then you can have your anger. If it's selfishness, If it's a spirit of accusation, then you can have that spirit. If you want a field full of thorns because you think the flowers are pretty, you can have a field full of thorns. You can walk in rebellion against your husband or against your wife. You can walk in rebellion against God. You can have what you want. That's what Jesus says. You get to choose who you're going to be. You get to choose what you receive. But if you want to receive from the Lord Jesus Christ, the fullness of revival in the Holy Spirit, the way you have to begin is to plow up the ground of your heart. And that means the thorns have to be turned over. The thorns of wanting other things. And I have to confess Jesus has asked me very difficult questions regarding this. Are you sure, Ray, that what you really want is revival? Do you really want revival? Do you understand what revival will cost you? A pastor stood in a pulpit right up here in this church, and revival came. Revival came. And he was so astonished. And for a short time, he loved it. And then it began to 
caused dissension in the church. It caused some of his regular money people to leave. It caused disorganization to result, upheaval. The programs that were in place and were operating in this church weren't being taken care of because everybody only wanted to come to the sanctuary and get on their faces. They wanted the presence of God instead of doing the work. And after the service was over, he was ending up every night with this house totally packed out, standing room only. He would have to spend till two or three o'clock in the morning praying for people. And he said he came to the place where he couldn't pray for one more person. His whole life was being disrupted. He wasn't able to go on vacation. His normal routines were totally broken. He wasn't getting to the club to work out. He wasn't able to have the time he wanted to himself. I mean, he was accustomed to coming here and, and preaching once a week, doing a little study during the week, and doing a little pastoral counseling during the week. And the rest of the time was his to play golf, enjoy the good life. It was a great little church. And God swept into this place and totally destroyed his whole deal. And he sat at my dining room table. And I said to him, every time I pass your building, I pray for you. That God will give you revival again. He said, don't do that. I don't want revival again. I said, Jim, then I'm praying that God will tear your church apart. Either bring revival or tear it apart. He said, Ray, I'm going to go get my doctorate. He said, why are you going to go get your doctorate? Because I need some new ideas. I need some ideas about what I should preach on. So I'm going to go get my doctorate in theology. Off he went to get his doctorate in theology. Within a year, he had a heart attack and was dead. I know why. God brought judgment on his life. He was a house divided and he couldn't stand. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? You need to decide whether you really want Jesus. And if you want Jesus, start plowing up all the soil of your life that you have reserved for yourself and begin to plant in that soil the word of the living God and let grow in your soil the fire of the Holy Ghost. I know some of you are going to walk out of here and you're going to say, well, Pastor Ray can't see me. Nobody can see me. I'm free to do what I want to do. You'll sit down at that computer and turn on the pornography or you'll go on a shopping spree or you'll do something else just because you want to do it. And you'll be saying, and God, stay out of my life. I want to do it my way. And God will be very patient with you. He'll see if there's an ember burning in your heart. And if there's an ember burning in your heart, he will not snuff it out. But if there is no ember burning in your heart, if you've committed the unpardonable sin, which is to totally grieve from your heart the Holy Ghost, then he will turn and leave. And you will be blind and dumb and taken over by darkness. You see, we understand today the scientific very well. We can research the scientific. We can research the medicine. I mean, we're very knowledgeable about how things work. And in scripture, that's referred to as knowledge. Knowledge in the Greek means how does something actually work? But wisdom, wisdom is that overarching understanding of the big picture that directs knowledge. So knowledge without wisdom is dangerous. You can know it all and go to hell. You can know it all and go to hell. Hell will be filled with smart people. People who know about Jesus and who know all of the theology. 
but they had no heart for that overarching will of God to come into his presence, to plow up this ground, to bury those thorns. Now, Jeremiah says it another way. Jeremiah 4, verse 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. Now, what is he saying? The circumcision was done on the male penis to cut off the foreskin so there would be a sign on the male that productivity could only occur through the power of God. That was the symbol. So now he's saying to all of us, men and women alike, circumcise your heart. In other words, cut off from your heart every idea and every ability and every activity that is of human origin and human driven. Only allow in this plowed ground those things that are moving by the power of the Spirit. Everything else is cut off. So that means I don't take a job without the direction of the Holy Spirit. It means I don't go places without the direction of the Holy Spirit. It means I don't say things without the direction of the Holy Spirit. It means I no longer live my life because I have circumcised my life. I have cut my life off, and I now have a life in Jesus Christ. I now walk in Jesus Christ. The seed of God is planted in my heart, and it's growing in my spirit. And I tell you, if you were to come to my house now and look right at the front of the house, you'd find cannas. They're up about this tall, about this tall. They're a beautiful little plant, a broad leaf coming out, growing in the center. Say, boy, that's a pretty plant. Well, you come back 30 days from now, and those cannas are going to be over five feet tall with large red and yellow blossoms. And all the neighbors are going to drive by, and they're going to say, look at that. I mean, they stop, and they come to the house. They say, this is gorgeous. Thank you. Well, right now, some of you have spiritual plants that are about so tall, and you have leaves growing up around. Now, just give yourself some time and watch the blossom that God will bring out of your life. But if you say, you know, these plants are not growing fast enough, I think I'm going to pull them up and see what's wrong with the roots. (laughs) You'll kill them. So what I'm trying to say to you today is, Identify those plants that are thorns and identify those plants that are growing in the power of the Spirit of God in your life and recognize the difference between the two. And some of you today are just this high in the Spirit. Soon you'll be this high in the Spirit. Trust Him to do that work. Your job is to circumcise yourself. Your job is to cut off every leaning toward the world and to plant the word of God in you so that it will spring up for eternal life for you and for your family. Plant the word. Some of you have said to me, pastor, I just read the word and I read the word and I read the word and I read the word and nothing's happening. Well, I planted those cannas deep and for a long time, nothing happened. Snow covered the ground, rain fell, cold, bitter cold. I said to my wife, I wonder if those things are ever come up. And then they started shoving through. Do you understand? If the word of God is planted in good soil, it will bear fruit. You don't have to worry about the word of God bearing fruit in your life. 
it will bear fruit. Don't pull it up and see. (laughs) Trust what God is doing in your life. The problem is not what God is doing or not doing in your life. The problem is what you're doing or not doing in your life. If you're not cutting off, circumcising that world, if you're not turning away from... Now, see, here's the difficulty. The flowers are planted. The Spirit of God has planted the seed in your life. You don't see anything coming up until you say, well, then I better produce something on my own. You know, there's no fruit here. I better go do something quick. You know, maybe I ought to go start a ministry somewhere. Maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to step out and do something bold. Maybe I, you know, I got to do something for for God. No, let the fruit of God grow the way God wants it to grow in your life. You get your thorns taken care of. See, a house divided is a house that has the seed of God planted in it and also the thorns planted in it. And you've got to bind the strong man. For some of you, the strong man is television. For some of you, the strong man is football. For some of you, the strong man is lusting after money. For some of you, the strong man is desiring to have your own way. For some of you, the strong man is just you've been taught from the time you were a child to scrap and fight and be angry. Whatever the strong man is, he's going to have to be bound. How do you bind the strong man? You plow him under. Hallelujah. You just plow him under. It's amazing how leveling a plow can be. You plow them under. And in that area where you plow it under, you plant the seed of God. Hallelujah. You plant the seed of God because the seed of God will come up. It will bring peace and joy and happiness. It will bring all of the gifts of the spirit. Now, some of you are saying in your heart, you know, I've been following Jesus, but I'm not happy. It's growing. You don't get joy overnight. Joy is a byproduct. Joy in a marriage is a byproduct of faithfulness between the husband and wife. Joy is not something you can say, okay, today we're up, let's go get some joy. No, joy doesn't grow on a tree. Joy grows up on the inside of a man and woman as they faithfully walk before God and they walk in obedience to his commands. Then joy begins to grow up in their heart. Now, some of you want to pull your joy plant up because it's so tiny. Now, what's wrong with my joy plant? Well, dump some miracle grow on it. You know what that is? Circumcision. Prayer closet. Humbling your heart before the Lord. Eating this word. Now, there's another scripture I want to share with you. It's over in Luke. It's over in Luke. It's the same story. But there's one phrase that Luke uses that we need to just simply be aware of. Luke, the eighth chapter, verse 14. Luke, the eighth chapter, verse 14. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. As they go on their way, they are choked. In other words, as they go on their way. They are choked, not as they go on the way of the cross, not as they go on the way of self-denial, not as they go on the way of the word of the living God are they choked. The fruit of the Spirit never choked anybody. It's the fruit of darkness that chokes us. So today I have to stop and just ask you the simple question. Are you going your own way? Are you going your own way today? Is there any area of your life 
where you are going your own way. And in the area where you identify that you are going your own way, the Holy Spirit is saying, will you get out the tractor and plow? Will you plow it under? And will you plant in that place the word of the living God? And some of you are saying, but pastor, if I do that, it's going to cost me everything. It's going to cost you everything if you don't, because you will be choked. The spirit of God will try to breathe into your heart. And that ember that's burning in your heart will finally go out and your house will be darkness. See, there's the way of the cross and there's the way of the world. There's the broad path and there's the narrow path. A house divided wants to take a hike down the narrow path and then come back and say, now let me take a hike down the broad path and let's see which one I like the best. And then we don't have an ability to go back and walk down the narrow path because we've grieved the Holy Spirit from our life and we're left on our own. I can't tell you today the kind of joy that's rising up in my heart and in Pastor Jan's heart as we walk day by day in obedience to the command of God and recognize that we've sold out all of our world opportunities, we've left behind all of our business deals, and we're now saying, Jesus, we're only going to do what you ask us to do. And joy is rising up in our hearts. Now, there was a time when there were tears rising up. Some of you even remember, every time Pastor Jan got in front, she'd cry. Well, why was she crying? Because she couldn't have her way. She'd lost what she loved. And Jesus was calling her. And with her tears, she was walking the road. Jesus was calling her to walk. And she was plowing up the ground behind her so that she was destroying and burning her bridges behind her. Because there was no going back. Some of you today think you can be a house divided. If your house divided, all of the life of the spirit is going to be choked out of you. You'll end up in death. But if you'll circumcise your heart, if you'll not go your own way, but you will follow Jesus Christ and you will plant the word of God in your heart, he will meet you and he will carry you. And these joy plants are going to grow up and blossom. And there's going to be a sweet fragrance in your life, a sweet fragrance. I walk around the front of my house. It's beautiful, but I come around the edge and it's ugly. You know what it is? It's filled with crabgrass, dry rocks, bare soil. And so I got a shovel and I began to cut out great big flower beds all down the side of the house. And now there's a strip of dead grass all the way down the front. Do you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to take my flat edge shovel and I'm going to have to take up about four inches of clay. I'm going to have to plow those flower beds up. And then I'm going to have to go over to Sam's And I'm going to have to buy bags of soil, topsoil. And I'm going to have to fill those four inches in, and then I'm going to have to add about four inches on top of that. So I've got about eight inches of good soil. Now, I can tell you when I've got that ground plowed up, it's not going to look very pretty. And some of your lives don't look very pretty. You've just been plowing stuff up. And and maybe family and friends are looking at your life and saying, boy, your life's a mess, and you follow Jesus. You tell them they're not farmers. Got to plow that soil up. Got to get the rocks out of it. You got to get the topsoil in. Then when the fruit of the spirit is growing up, they're going to say, man, how do I get what you've got? Plow up your life. Make a mess of everything. Kill all that grass. Crab grass. Crabby grass. 
Any of you today have crabgrass growing in your lives? Are there some places you need to get a shovel and dig out about four or six inches of soil? House divided against itself can't stand. You're either going to let the thorns and the weeds and the crabgrass grow, or you're going to plow up your ground. You're going to circumcise yourself. You're going to say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. No matter what it takes, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm not going to walk the way of the world anymore. I and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. Now construction begins. And some of you in that construction process have become very discouraged. And the word I want you to hear today is Jesus said, I'm not going to snuff it out. I'm not going to, I'm not going to crush. I'm not going to break what I'm doing in your life. I'm doing so that you will have a life of joy and be able to produce all that I've asked you to produce. How many times I've worked with some brother or sister on a house construction project and the house looks fairly good. You look around, but you say, this wall's got to come out. This window's got to come out. Carpet's got to come out. Boy, you strip that stuff out of there and that house looks ugly. Dust everywhere. The boards under the the carpet are splintering. I'm saying, what kind of house is this? You always find termites. Always find damage somewhere. You find something wrong in the house. It's always worse than what you thought it would be. I'm going to tell you the same is true in your life. You start this construction project on your life to be built into the image of Jesus Christ. That old carpet's got to come out. Some walls have got to come down. The termites have got to be cleaned out. The main beam's going to have to be replaced. The floor is going to have to be jacked up and leveled. And it's not going to look pretty for your family to walk through for a while. And you have to live in the midst of the mess. But Jesus promised he would finish what he started. He promised he would finish what he started in your life. So today the question is not whether the seed of God is growing up in your life. It is. The question is, will you plow up the rest of your ground and get the seed in it? Or are you going to fight Jesus every step of the way? There's one more scripture I want to share with you. It's just a very brief one. And it's a terrifying one. It's also in Matthew, the 15th chapter, verse 13. Matthew 15, verse 13. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. So, okay, if you've been planting thorns, you've been planting crabgrass, if you're going your own way, the Lord is saying a time is going to come when he's going to come and do the work and he's going to pull up all those weeds. But in the process, it'll kill you. It'll be judgment unto damnation. Or I can now submit to the Holy Spirit and the promise is he will not break a bruised reed. He will not snuff out a smoldering wick. He instead will gently come into your life and he'll begin to blow in the spirit And he'll say to you, now plow up this area and plant the word of God in this area. Then he'll say, now turn here. I want this plowed up. I want this attitude plowed under. I want this activity plowed under. I don't want you to walk that way anymore. And he's going to begin to lead you in plowing up every area of your life. And in every one of those areas, he's asking you, plant the word of God in that area of your life. Plant the word of God in that area of your life. 
because the Lord wants a harvest. How is it with your heart today? Have you been discouraged and grumpy and growly and upset about the cost of following Jesus? Have you been reserving parts of your life and saying, Jesus, leave this part of my life alone. This is where I have my little flower garden planted that has nothing to do with you, Jesus. This is where I've put my my, uh, corn to grow. I'm going to get money out of this, Jesus. Or today, have you simply surrendered every part of your life and you're willing to plow it up and plant it with the word of the living God? Is your house today divided? Do you have a divided heart today? And are you willing today to turn from that divided heart, knowing the gentleness and the love of Jesus? Are you willing to turn to him and let him begin to breathe into you courage and love and peace? and joy as the crop of the Spirit grows up in your life. Now, it doesn't matter to me today whether the seed has already sprung up in your life. It doesn't matter if it's a foot high or if it's six feet high. I know it's coming if it's planted in you, if it's not choked out by what you want. You've sat under the preaching. The Word of God's been planted in your heart. You've read the Word. The Word has been planted in your heart. If you don't choke it out, it'll bear fruit. So my question today is, are you a house divided? Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Give me an Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.